the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into hour two. Um, 602-508-0960 is the number. Uh, open hour for you. Anything on your mind? 602-5080-960. I was just closing out the la- last hour with this uh, news item that uh, it probably won't make much news, frankly. Uh, it'll probably be a one-day-and-done story. Um, and... The truth is, it isn't really news. Byron York was writing about this three, four, and even five years ago. But the Washington Post finally has, uh, you know, gosh, democracy dies in darkness, they like to tell us. They are the dark. They are the darkness of the dark. Someone once said that about, who said that about Richard Nixon? Um, Who was the Watergate uh, burglar that said that about Richard Nixon? They said he is the darkness in the dark. Anyway, the Washington Post is that now, uh, ironically enough, a paper that uh, exposed Richard Nixon. But in any event, here's the headline. Russian trolls on Twitter had little influence on 2016 voters. OK, maybe that's news to readers of The Washington Post. Maybe that's news to Democrats. Um, but, you know, we have been saying this from the beginning. A study finds minimal impact from Russian influence operations on Twitter in the Trump-Clinton presidential race. Let me read directly. Russian influence operations on Twitter in the 2016 presidential election reached relatively few users, most of whom were highly partisan Republicans, and the Russian accounts had no measurable impact in changing minds or influencing voter behavior, according to a study out this morning from New York University. How many times in 2017 and 2018, Bill, did I go blue in the face saying, please point to me evidence of one vote, one vote that you can identify as having been changed by something called Russian disinformation? Please find me one. No one could. No one did. And the New York, excuse me, New York University and the Washington Post reporting on it made the, proved the theoretical with the actual, I guess they had to go into some deep academic study. What what did my old boss, Bill Bennett, call these deep, deep ac- academic studies? He said, um, let's see if I can remember this, uh, uh, the uh, elaborate demonstration of the obvious using obscure methods that are obscure. The elaborate demonstration of the obvious based on methods that are obscure. Back to the story. The study, which the New York University Center for Social Media and Politics helmed, explored the limits of what Russian disinformation and misinformation was able to achieve on one major social media platform in the 2016 elections. My personal sense coming out of this is that this got way overhyped. Josh Tucker, one of the report's authors, who is the co-director at the New York Univer- at New York University, told me, the author, of the Washington, the journalist at the Washington Post told me about the meaningfulness of the Russian tweets. Oh, really? Overhyped, you say? Overhyped. Illegitimate president, illegitimate president, illegitimate president, Russian interference, Russian interference, Russian interference. By the way, 
I didn't want to gloss over or elide. It's a good word, word of the day, elide. I didn't want to elide that one sentence from the Washington Post. Let me give it to you again. I know I said it a moment ago, but it's worth focusing on. Russian influence operations on Twitter in the 2016 presidential election reached relatively few users, most of whom were highly partisan Republicans. Oh, my gosh. The interference was directed at people who were planning to vote Republican anyway? Let's go back to Josh Tucker from New York University. Quote, now we're looking back at data and we can see how concentrated this was in one small portion of the population and how the fact that people who were being exposed to these were really likely to vote for Trump in the first place. That's the point I was just making. And then we have this data to show we can't find any relationship between being exposed to these tweets and people's change in attitudes. Oh, really? Oh, really? Do you realize how much time and money and the real threat to democracy took place over this hoax? Over this hoax. That's what it was. It was a hoax. Key findings of the report. Only 1% of Twitter's use, excuse me, only 1% of Twitter users accounted for 70% of the exposure to accounts that Twitter identified as Russian troll accounts. This is a scandal. This is a scandal. And you know what? No matter what you want to have investigated by Jim Jordan or the House of Representatives, it's going to be really hard to investigate the Washington Post or any media outlet. But you know who you could investigate? You know who you could investigate? It dawns on me. You could investigate fellow House members who perpetrated these myths and hoaxes. How many times did Adam Schiff at House Intelligence and how many times did Jerry Nadler at House Judiciary tell CNN and CBS and all the rest that they had a smoking gun on Russian interference in the election? That was never produced. The gun was never produced, ever. And how, you know, you you remember the phrase, the walls are closing in, the walls are closing with every little tidbit and nugget that Adam Schiff would dangle out or that Jerry Nadler wouldn't dangle out in front of the press. Now, the media was a willing accomplice to all this, and they'll rely on their First Amendment rights not to be hauled before the committees. And that's okay on this one. I'm okay with that. I don't really mind. Uh, too terribly much on on that. I, I want to go after the media in a bigger way on other things. I don't want to waste time on that part of it. But there's no reason House ethics, there's no reason House oversight, but primarily House ethics, couldn't open up investigations into Adam Schiff and Jerry Nadler and what their sources of information were and why they repeatedly led the American people and the United States media, if not world media, down a path of false expectations. Certainly, no one had more information available to them on this stuff than Adam Schiff and Jerry Nadler. Certainly no one did. So let's find out what they knew and when they knew it. Why not? Why not? We open up House Ethics Investigation. That's the purpose of the House Ethics Committee. That is the purpose. It is to investigate itself. That is to say, not its building, but its fellow members. Why not investigate those guys? Do you realize in thinking back how much damage they did to this country by leading up front the notion that the president was illegitimately elected due to Russian influence and Russian interference on the Internet? Do you realize how much damage was done? And then 
you know, I mean, you can't really hold them liable for this. But then to completely do an about shift and say it was an impeachable offense and insurrectionist, or at least the catalyst for insurrection or the impetus for insurrection to question the legitimacy of an election that they won, the 2020 election. Do you realize how upside down and backwards this is? This is the darkness of the dark. This is the dark of the darkness. This is the heart of darkness of what transpired here. They took a nothing story and raised it to the level of illegitimacy, turning out to be the progenitors of the first big lie that lasted for four years, four years about Donald Trump's election. And then when Donald Trump went on to question the legitimacy of the 2020 election, right or wrong, and I'm, I'm not here to argue that right or wrong, I, I have my own thoughts on it, but right or wrong, who, who set the template and set the stage to question legitimacies of elections? And now finally the Washington Post, now that all the damage has been done, now that the Republicans had been seen for four years as having a illegitimate president, they tell us, like the Emily Latella, never mind. Never mind. No votes were changed. No interference of any meaningfulness, of any consequence, of any end result took place. Well, again, as I said, a lot of us were saying that. A lot of us were saying that years before the Washington Post. Not everyone has a comma journalist after their professional name, I suppose. I don't. But Byron York does, and he was writing about it. And no one cared because Adam Schiff and Jerry Nadler kept saying, we have a smoking gun. And as soon as all of the evidence is taken in and as soon as all of the vetting is taken place and all of the hearings are concluded, you'll see it. And it will be shocking. That was another word they used. Shocking. There's nothing. It's a big fat zero as it always was. The worst form of shame is having none. The worst form of shame is having none. And this is the political field we have to operate in and against. A party of no shame. It's very hard. It's very hard to animate a people and embarrass a party when they can't be embarrassed. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. The economic signs are worrisome, which is why I recommend calling veteran-owned Midas Gold Group to safeguard your wealth with the stability of gold. Gold holds its value when economies fail, and with stocks and bonds crashing over 20% last year, gold has held its value. Those who converted to gold with Midas Gold Group created a hedge against the ravages of inflation and are protecting themselves against a recession. Check them out at MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com. Or better yet, call them at 480-360-3000. 480-360-3000. The only precious metals dealer, Seb Gorka, and I and thousands of you already know and trust. I was uh, driving in... Um, well, I wasn't driving in. It was a little earlier than that. But I was driving around earlier today, 
and I was listening to an interview um, Dennis Prager was doing with uh, Jennifer Say. Do you remember her? S-E-Y is how she spells her last name, Jennifer Say. She was the uh, president of branding at Levi Strauss in uh, San Francisco and uh, committed, uh, not liberal, but leftist, actually. And I believe he says, if not here earlier, she says, she writes, that she was uh, an Elizabeth Warren for president supporter. And she had the uh, temerity to do nothing more than ask that the schools be reopened during COVID. And not from any particular perspective or any particular labeling of being a representative of Levi's. She never mentioned it. It was on her personal accounts that she said these things. And they made her life a miserable hell over at uh, Levi's, and she had to leave. She had to leave the company. Anyway, Dennis was talking to her today, and there was this poignant exchange that uh, my producer, Bill, I asked to capture. He did dutifully. I just think it's really good. Go ahead, Bill, if you don't mind playing this exchange. Given this experience and given that you have been a woman of the left your whole life, has this caused any rethinking of your commitment to the left? Oh, oh, most definitely. I, I mean, I see it. I, I, what I what I don't know and what I don't bother assessing, and I'm sure you have a perspective, is, you know, was it always a lie or is it now? It doesn't matter to me. It now is a lie. Everything um, that they say they stand for is is a lie. They don't care about children. They don't care about, you know, lower income families and children. And they don't care about inclusiveness. And they certainly don't care about free speech. So... I am an independent now. I have re-registered as unaffiliated here in Denver. And I, you know, I want to, I don't want to have to adhere to any particular orthodoxy. I want to think for myself, make decisions for myself about how I vote. Um, So that's where I am right now. But yes, absolutely. And I have been on, gosh, at this point, hundreds of conservative uh, programs and have found folks incredibly welcoming, and we don't have to agree on everything, and that's okay. So I have certainly rethought my history. Yeah. Wow, I did not know what you would answer, and y- you've been—you uh, have truly been through the auto da fe. What do they call it? Red pilled? Is that the is that the term? <laughs> I think it is the term. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think. The the one thing I, I I feel I don't actually feel I personally changed that much. I feel that the values that I've always believed in, and I guess those are right. But the left doesn't the left the doesn't same. believe in them. The, the, That's right. Yeah, you're not familiar with me, but I want you to know that the theme, a major theme of my last decade at least, can, is that can, there is you nothing. can hold it there. Um, you can hold it there. It's an interesting thing. Irving Kristol many years ago said that um, a new conservative is a liberal who was mugged by reality. And Jennifer Say here grows up, uh, I believe she tells us she was born in Philadelphia, raised in Philadelphia, went off to Stanford and then goes to work in San Francisco, which is a city with 6% Republican registration. Can you imagine such a thing? Can you imagine? I mean... You don't. 
it's, it's an endangered species. Republicans in San Francisco should be on the endangered species list. But she goes to San Francisco to start her career and, and does well. Committed leftist, trusts in people like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. She supported Warren for president. And she makes in her personal time, on her personal time, with her personal counts, one – okay, I, I understand it was controversial, but as controversies go, I mean there were far more controversial issues even under the rubric of COVID than saying, you know, I think we probably ought to open up the schools. But that, that, that was her cause. Let's open up the schools. Because she was looking at the evidence that the children were the least at risk anyway and that most of the transmission does come at home, does t take place in the home. And she was looking at the obvious mental, nutritional health uh, deficits that the children would go through, all of which came true. All of our predictions on this came true. All were censored. All came true. Um, and so she was making the pitch that, you know, maybe we ought to open up the schools. And some of us were more forceful about it than others. I think I was. <laughs> I think Bill Bennett and I were than she was. But that was her thing. And they made her life a, a living hell. Mm -hmm. And she realized, as she says here, the left isn't what I thought it was. It's not that ju they're just censorious. It's not just that they're censoring. It's that, as she put it, everything I thought they stood for. Children, children's health, education, common sense, human rights. They don't. They don't. And what's fortunate is she was, you know, awoken to this. She, she, she awoke to this. What's unfortunate is that it took so long. And what's unfortunate is that we have huge swaths of the population that aren't there yet and may never get there. That they believe. They believe the claptrap AOC tries to sell. They believe in this nonsense that Marx had it right. Or if he didn't have it right, it's that no society has completely done Marx perfectly enough or well enough. There's so many out there that are living in this misguided darkness. And, you know, I think that's that's the job here. The job here, each one reach one, we like to say. Find someone and point this stuff out. Some people are impervious to discussion. Some people are impervious to argument. Some people suffer from invincible ignorance. But more and more might be coming to the light. I was, I was revisiting an interview I did with the novelist Ann Bauer, who was... An exact replica of Jennifer Say a year before Jennifer when she was talking about opening up the schools and lost all her friends and got canceled. She a committed leftist as well. Boy, this tyranny is really something else, isn't it? If you have ideas on this, let me know. 602 960 Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602-5080-960. I mentioned earlier, and this is related to the Jennifer Say discussion, uh, I mentioned earlier that uh, Alex Berenson, who has been on this show a number of times, 
uh, has the uh, has the scepter from Elon Musk to unveil and unroll the latest uh, tranche of Twitter archives, pre-Elon Musk Twitter archives on uh, darkness, shall we say. And um, the, uh, the this this series is about collusion with the pharmaceutical industry and Anthony Fauci and others. This is so important. I don't know how many of you, well, I guess if you're me, you kind of have to, but I don't know how many of you would tune into CBS or CNN during COVID and see uh, Scott Gottlieb, always Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He, fair enough. I mean, he is an MD and he earned that. But Dr. Scott Gottlieb weighing in on how important the mitigation strategies were, particularly the vaccines. For about a year of listening to him blather, they did not disclose that he sat on the board of Pfizer. And then when that became impossible to keep from disclosure, they said when he was being interviewed uh, for full purposes of full disclosure, Dr. Scott Gottlieb is on the board of directors of Pfizer. Which, by the way, at that point, even if you have to dis- even if you're disclosing it, why are you interviewing these people? Even if you're even with disclosure, what measured analytical unbiased thought process are you going to get from a doctor who sits on the board of a pharmaceutical company over half of whose profits come from these vaccines that he is saying you must take supporting the mandates, right? Well, it's worse than all that. I mean, this is everything we knew. That I, Everything I just said isn't new. Here's new. Alex Berenson. On August 27th, 2021, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, a Pfizer director with over 550,000 Twitter followers, saw a tweet he didn't like. A tweet that might hurt sales of Pfizer's mRNA vaccines. The tweet explained correctly that natural immunity after COVID infection was superior to vaccine protection. It called on the White House to follow the science and exempt people with natural immunity from upcoming vaccine mandates. Okay, that's a mouthful. Let me let me just make it clear. The research the research was showing that if you had had COVID, as the research out of Israel established and elsewhere, but first Israel, if you had had COVID, that that was what you would call natural immunity, if you had COVID and survived, obviously, that that was called natural immunity. And it was better than, and it was stronger than, and it was more efficacious than the protection you were going to get from an, um, from an mRNA vaccine. It was stronger protection than what you would get from the vaccine itself. Now, some of you may have known this intuitively if you got the vaccine too closely after you had COVID and it just threw you down like Hulk Hogan body slamming you. I know a lot of people that did that. They didn't put enough time between the, their COVID, uh, their COVID, uh, their, their COVID uh, virus and the vaccine that they then went on to get. But that, that's what we're talking about here. If you had COVID, you were more protected than if you didn't have COVID and got the vaccine. Okay? This message... This tweet, back to Alex Berenson, came not from an anti-vaxxer like Robert Kennedy Jr., but from Dr. Brett Girard. Do you guys remember Brett Girard? A physician who had followed Gottlieb 
as the head of the FDA. Gottlieb himself was at the FDA uh, and then left, joined the Pfizer Board of Directors because that's how the Washington, D.C. turnstile works. This tweet came from Brett Girard, who was the head of the FDA. Oh, this is too good of a story to try and cram in. You just wait. You just wait. This story, this is a good story. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. If you are concerned about the volatility of the stock market but could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market, you would want to check out Y-Refi. They are our sponsors and friends, and they have exactly that. They have an investment in a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate, and it's not correlated to the stock market. A portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like. No loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Y-Refi is a due diligence to prove firm, and you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, 10.25%. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34. That's 888-Y-REFI-34. Before I continue with our tale of woe, that is Pfizer and Scott Gottlieb and Twitter, do you guys remember September last year, a particular FBI raid on a particular place called Mar-a-Lago? Remember that? Over what? Over Donald Trump having taken classified documents from the White House? Well, today... CBS is reporting classified documents from Joe Biden's vice presidential office were discovered at a think tank of the president of the United States before he was president. They were just discovered at the Penn Biden Center, a think tank in Washington, D.C. These are classified documents Joe Biden took from the vice presidency when he was vice president. These are classified documents that the vice president had and took him to the Penn Center. Now, I know what you're asking, which is, did the FBI raid the Penn Center? No, of course not. Of course not. After all, Joe Biden's a Democrat. But do you remember this little gem on 60 Minutes? And you saw the photograph of the top secret documents laid out on the floor at Mar-a-Lago. What did you think to yourself looking at that image? How that could possibly happen. How one, anyone could be that irresponsible. And I thought, what data was in there that made compromised sources and methods? By that, I mean names of people who helped, or et cetera. And it's just uh, totally irresponsible. How does that happen? How could anyone be that irresponsible? Again, look in the mirror. He did it first. It only just took a little bit longer for the Department of Justice and CBS to discover it. Okay. anyway, so there's a tweet that goes out in August of 2021, a tweet from the head of the FDA, another physician, Brett Girard. And the tweet says that natural immunity, that is to say prior COVID infection, is stronger than the vaccine. 
Okay, that's from Brett Girard. The tweet actually also said, if you don't have natural immunity, get vaccinated. So if you didn't get COVID, get vaccinated. That's what the tweet said from Brett Girard, head of the FDA. Now let me read you Alex Berenson. No matter, by suggesting some people might not need COVID vaccinations, the tweet could raise questions about the shots. Besides, being former FDA commissioner, a CNBC contributor, and a prominent voice on COVID public policy, Scott Gottlieb was a senior board member at Pfizer, which depended on mRNA jabs for half, 50% of its $81 billion in sales in 2021. By the way, Pfizer paid Gottlieb $365,000 for his work that year. It's nice to be a former FDA commissioner. So Gottlieb... Looking at his $365,000 a year paycheck, steps in and he emails a top lobbyist in Washington, Twitter's lobbyist, it turns out, a man named Todd O'Boyle. He emailed Todd O'Boyle and he said the post was corrosive and it could end up going viral and driving news coverage. So what does Twitter do? It suppresses the tweet. Berenson writes, I found that email from Gottlieb. I found the email from Gottlieb to um, Todd O'Boyle in a search of records I ran at Twitter last week, part of Elon Musk's Twitter files effort to raise the veil on censorship decisions Twitter made before Musk bought the company in October. Through Jira, an internal system Twitter used for managing complaints, O'Boyle forwarded Gottlieb's email to the Twitter strategic response team. That group was responsible for handling concerns from the company's most important employees and users. O'Boyle wrote, please see this report from the former FDA commissioner, Gottlieb. Failing to mention, by the way, that Gottlieb was a board member at Pfizer with a financial interest in pushing mRNA mRNA shots. A strategic response analyst quickly found the tweet did not violate any of the company's misinformation rules. So Twitter wound up flagging Gerard's tweet anyway, putting a misleading tag on it and preventing almost anyone from seeing it. It remains tagged even though several large studies have confirmed the truth of Gerard's words. A week later, September 3rd, 2021, Gottlieb tried to strike again, complaining to O'Boyle about a tweet from Justin Hart. Hart is a lockdown and COVID skeptic with more than 100,000 Twitter followers. Hart wrote, sticks and stones may break my bones, but a viral pathogen with a child mortality rate of less than 0% has cost our children nearly three years of school. Why Gottlieb objected to Hart's words is not clear. But the Pfizer shot would soon be approved for children 5 to 11, representing another massive market for Pfizer, if parents could be convinced COVID was a real threat to their kids. A Boyle referred to former FDA Commissioner Gottlieb once again when he forwarded the report, again, ignoring Gottlieb's current work, then current work for Pfizer. This time, though, Gottlieb's complaint did not get tagged. This is what Gottlieb was up to. This is who CNBC is paying as well as Pfizer. This is what Pfizer was deploying. 
censoring people on Twitter for questioning their work with good questions, by the way, accurate questions. One FDA's tweet canceling out the former FDA commissioner's tweet. Good for Brett Girard for saying that. Too bad none of us got to see it from Brett Girard. We had to get it from the likes of non-FDA commissioners who weren't on Pfizer's payroll, like me. Do you realize how badly you were lied to for profit? Do you realize how badly you were lied to for panic? Do you realize how badly you were lied to using panic to profit? Do you realize these people are not going to be punished, sanctioned whatsoever, and we're just going to go on like nothing happened, and they want an amnesty? Nefarious times we live in. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. I guess – welcome back. Thank you. I guess one of the things I am concluding from all of these health panics and public health scares and the major media – being part and parcel of the misinformation, sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly, is that you really, like with everything else, have to do your own research. You really do. Bill, you'll remember, gosh, I've been saying this for years. I haven't said it in a long time. I don't even know if I said it during the COVID stuff, but I should have. It's an old philosophy of mine that if something is too bad to be true, it usually is. And if something is too good to be true, it usually is. Just because something goes out in the Washington Post or CBS, it's no more trustworthy than if you hear it anywhere else, unless it's an expert you rely on and trust and do your own research on it, especially if it's eyebrow-raising. Especially if it's eyebrow raising. I don't understand the stampede to believe the worst all the time, which is what COVID perfected in this country. When there are other real and credible problems. I used to say during COVID, there's public health and there's public health. Let's look at the child mortality rate. Let's look at the infant mortality rate. And let's calm ourselves a little bit here. And let's think about what it means to shut down schools and yank these kids' social and educational and recreational lives into a 180-degree turn. And yet there are real health problems. Of course, you've heard me on the drug issue for a long time, the illegal drug issue for a long time. And there seems to be no one other than the occasional Fox News report that cares about that. CBS has a story out today. Children struggling, I'm reading from their tweets, children struggling with obesity should be evaluated and treated early and aggressively, including with medications for kids as young as 12 and surgery for those as young as 13, according to new guidelines released Monday. Okay, children struggling with obesity, according to new guidelines, should be treated as aggressively and with medication and surgery as early as ages 12 and 13. Ages 12 and 13. If you tell me obesity has nothing to do with lifestyle, you don't get to tell me trust the science ever again. Ever again. 
drugs and surgery for obesity in kids. Unbelievable. Brandon Weikert coming right up. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.